Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, special episode 222, Game of Thrones Games. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode, especially Peter, Jason, and Lyle. You guys rock. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Jason. Jason's here. Hey! <laughs> I, and I think you took a wrong turn, man. I saw Game of Thrones and I'm like, get out of my way. I'm coming on this episode. That is happening. <laughs> yes, I saw that post. You, you were saying this especially, hold my coffee cup. I'm jumping on this thing. <laughs> hold my Starbucks cup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or hold my water bottle or whatever random anachronism you could hold so that you could jump on this episode. <laughs> Seriously, thank you guys for uh, making a little bit of space so we can geek out. Yeah, it's about time. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a good chunk of you guys have listened to Jason and myself over on Every Night is Game Night. But for those of you who have not, I have another podcast. Jason does most of it. So... Anthony started it uh, when Board Gamers Anonymous went monthly. He had, he had a, a podcasting void in his heart. And then around episode six, he put out the call and he says, help me. <laughs> I have to be on the show with somebody. And he was good enough to have me on. And so we now are um, just past around episode 140 of Every Night is Game Night. So yeah, we've uh, we've been trying to make this happen, you know, BGA, ENG, and crossover, and really happy to do it. It's awesome. Yeah, no, it's finally about time. And this is a perfect topic for it because the last six weeks, at least, anytime you and I have talked, oh, as yeah. well as Chris and I, it's been like, oh, this show, this show, man, oh, man, this show. <laughs> so it's a good chance to talk about some good Game of Thrones stuff. Absolutely. So if you don't know, we are going to be talking about Game of Thrones 
the television show, obviously touching on the books and especially getting into all of the board games and the card games that are based upon all of this great content. So just a little bit of spoiler warning right up front. We may trip over some spoilers along the way. So if you're not finished up with the television show, or if you haven't gotten a chance to read the books and you want to keep all that secret, you may want to jump ahead to another episode and hold this one back for a later time. But let's actually get into Game of Thrones, the TV show, just a little bit, because I think that we need to get something off our <laughs> chest about the show before we can move forward. And so a little catharsis, Anthony and uh, Jason, uh, who wants to start off our group therapy session here? <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean, I think we're all pretty much in the same boat, maybe with like slightly different ups and downs. I know talking to you guys, there's been episodes some of us hated that others didn't mind and vice versa. But this last season was, oh. It was a, it was a marathon. I tell you what. <laughs> well, it was a sprint. That should have been a marathon. That was the problem. I know, but it felt like a marathon, dragging myself to the couch every week. I don't. Uh... <laughs> so okay, uh, I guess uh, introducing the context in which we understand the show. Like, uh, so I'm a book reader, and I I read the books in like the early 2000s. So after Storm of Swords came out, so had the wait for Feast, uh, Feast of the Crows, and then had the wait for Dance of Dragons, and then you know, so I've been steeped in this lore, and I've, I just I'm just a geek for it. I can tell you exactly what the house words are of. You know, uh, all the houses in Dorne. I could tell you, you know, the house phrase, you know, words and the sigil. And I'm just, I'm, I'm insane for this stuff. So I I can separate the show of the books. You know, the, the, the show's not going to be do the same things as the books. Fine. Uh, it's basic. And then, so then when they went past the books, it basically became fan fiction. I'm like, okay, all right, this is great. Game of Thrones, it, somebody who has money is making, is finishing the books. So people who don't know the books are, which actually I had a, uh, someone today I was talking to did not realize that the books aren't finished and like the books aren't finished it's like yeah <laughs> that's part of the problem so once you get past the books uh it's just it just turned into okay let's let's focus on the characters like right now let's not it, like there's so much stuff that dropped off and then let's just focus on john and danny and these are our characters and to me that's kind of where the show took a left turn because I don't know how you guys felt about like the actors and the situations, but I just felt like John and Danny were just, ugh. yeah. I mean, they're just plain oatmeal, man. They're not particularly, they I mean, they, they never were. And I don't know if it's just like the showrunners didn't realize that those particular roles would be so important over the course of eight seasons or who knows. It's just, it's just, I don't know that the chemistry, the magic that you got with some of the other actors in the early seasons who died. Um, it's not, it's just not yeah. there. Right. Yeah, I think for me not having read the books, but coming to the books later and just catching up on all the book content, the show was really my introduction. And then I followed up with the books between the different seasons. And in general, it was a very interesting dynamic experience. My whole family watches the show. And sometimes that's awkward, but let's skip that for the moment. And just in general, it was just a phenomenon. You know, the whole idea of the Red Wedding and all the different major events that went on, the fact that everybody was watching it. And then there was so many YouTubes and podcast people out there that talking about the show, enjoying it, talking about different theories and how many things may work out. And obviously us with board games kind of getting involved in the content. I remember early on playing the card game and going, Anthony, is this a spoiler? It's just a spoiler. Just <laughs> oh my a spoiler. God, I forgot about then, that. Yeah. <laughs> and at, at some point, you spoil the, the, the show for me, but let's let's skip ahead on that too. But yes, at some point, it was the best television I've ever seen in my entire life. So dynamic, so gripping, so well-produced, so well-acted, so well-written. It was just, 
it was phenomenal. I didn't think that television could do that. And then as Jason was saying earlier, you know, at some point, the show just took a dramatic turn. It became fan fiction. And I think it was around the time that Arya just had her little arc and it just didn't make any sense what she was doing. And she became like a superhero. And I love her. I love the character. I love the actress, but it just didn't make any sense. And then from there on in, I think it was like season five, season six, season seven. And obviously the end, if you want to call that a season, it was just like really, really expensive fan fiction, which I was okay to have but i was overall disappointed even like that lay towards the latter half like we still got that episode where cersei blows up the sept which was i thought it was that was really cool that was really cool so you still got moments so they still strung you along it'll be one thing if it was just just bad all around and was like all right all right right, forget it i don't have to finish this but they kept on kind of like mixing in the the good stuff and the rough stuff and everything it's like all right and especially just when you focus on the political and the king's landing and the you know the interactions with Tyrion and Varys like that was great you know that that was when the show was at its best like did you guys see the um the little what was it the YouTube montage of you know the like the cast members were all disappointed in the oh, show. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, do, how do you think your character ends? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it says everything. And I think Colin <laughs> Hill, who plays Varys, says says it like the best, where he says, "You know, I felt like I just stepped into a different show." And I, there were so many moments I was looking forward to, like when I found out that Littlefinger died. I, I wish I would have had a moment to just think about that, and you know and play that forward and then at the end i don't even know what happened and then at the very end he was happy like cutting burning up dragon but like when the actors are kind of when, when well seriously like when the actors because it, it happened in the walking dead too where like the show got so nutty that the actors were like okay i need to make up my mm-hmm. own fiction to make this make sense in my head because <laughs> when the actors like they they lost the train of thought because the, the they just the, the double sure. d just kind of went faster it's like okay we have to make star wars so we got to wrap this up i guess i don't know what you know they got tired of spending the last 10 years of their life i don't the more power to them if they want to like move on but it just they, they pressed the accelerator they wanted to get to the end you know it, it there was some good parts but man yeah i think there's been some general information passed around that hbo was willing to do more seasons but obviously D wanted to move on to other things Obviously, some of the actors wanted to move on to other well, things. Kid Harrington. Kid Harrington was done. He's like, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I also don't know if he would have, maybe he would have stayed on if the show was at the same quality that it originally was. But that wasn't going to happen with the books not being produced. And D&D was like the Zack Snyder of television where like they could adapt, you know, book content tremendously well and give you some great moments and some great scenes but as far as developing characters and writing stories, it wasn't their thing, clearly. So overall disappointing, but still a phenomenal event and uh, a tremendous book series. And hopefully George wraps it up and wraps it up quickly and well. And maybe one day, maybe one day far, far in the future, they'll come back and give a true version of the book straight through to the end. All right. So that's our general feelings about Game of Thrones. We could go on for another, I don't know, six or eight seasons about it. We want to get on with the episode because there's a lot of good stuff. So Anthony, why don't you bring us up to date on what's going on with BGA? All right, guys, you know the drill. Every week we got a contest winner. Last week's winner was Rico. Uh, this week's winner is Brian. Brian's actually a longtime backer who just recently in the last couple months 
upgrade it to the producer level. So Brian, I'm going to hit you up real quickly. Uh, you'll be getting a game of your choice from Game Surplus out in the mail here in the next few days. Congratulations. Hey, congratulations, congratulations Brian. All right. Yeah. So like I said, if you are on Patreon, first of all, thank you if, if you're a backer. If you're not and you're interested, we have a lot of different backer levels. You can start out at just, even just a dollar. It's just super helpful for us. Um, and you can hop in the Slack group and participate in those conversations and help us pick new topics and nominate games for these lists. If you do jump up to the producer level, you are automatically entered into this contest every single month. And we've now had something like 15 winners. That's 15 games given out over the last three months. And we're going to keep doing it every single week as long as we have the backers there to support us. So uh, thanks to everybody who does that. And make sure you check it out if you're interested in contests or the extra episodes or just helping us out and making sure we can bring you some awesome content every week. Yeah, it does mean a lot to everyone here and obviously helps support BGA and every night's game night. All right, Anthony, what about a contest for everyone? What about that? Yeah, I mentioned this last week, and I, I threw it up on Facebook and Twitter and uh, in our groups. And that's the World Cup episode that we do every four-ish years and then again the year after that. <laughs> because we get the Men's World Cup and the Women's World Cup. So we do our bracket. This year we're doing uh, kind of a spin on what we did back in March and doing kind of an alternate history. So think games like Scythe or Spirium. You know, it's it's the real world, but not as you'd recognize it or remember it. And uh, we have a lot of different games that have been nominated already, and I'm kind of combing through BGG and pulling more together. So here in the next week, I'm going to throw that up as a bracket. You'll be able to pick which games you think are going to win each of those groups and then which ones you think will win overall. And whoever gets closest in the end is going to win a game from the brackets. So anybody can enter, backer or not, listener or not. I'll be posting this up everywhere. So make sure you keep an eye out for that and get your picks in. It'll be up until about the first or second week of June when we record that episode. So we'll have that up uh, here in the next two days. Yeah, please check out our Facebook account because you can add games right now. So please jump on there. Let us know what your favorite alternate universe world kind of thing is. I really like this kind of dynamic where it's like, hey, it's modern day, but there's some crazy thing, which tends to be a mechanic or some kind of unobtainium in the game where everyone's trying to either capture it or produce it or utilize it or something or another to it all right so that's what's going on with bga gentlemen let's get into some of the fun stuff that's going on with board gaming let's talk about the upcoming and soon to be nominees and award winners anthony yep so we we did origins a few weeks back which we always have fun with because they're silly and not very good um, <laughs> they, they've gotten better they have gotten better over the last couple of years that is true it was a lot funnier like four years ago when it was literally complete nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> um, they make a little more sense now. So now we're getting to like the serious stuff. And there was a couple sets of nominees released this week. So one is the big one, the big daddy. And that is the Spiel des Jahres series of awards. So if you're not familiar with the Spiel des Jahres, if you're a new listener or just new to board games, this is the German game of the year. So this is uh, games that were published in Germany that the jury believed had good rules and the, the game of the year itself is really light family fair right it's, you look at these the first few times maybe and you're like wow these are not the games i'm playing these are light games for families and children they do have a slightly heavier game of the year they call their kennerspiel the enthusiast game of the year and those are kind of what we'd consider middleweight and then they have uh, kinderspiel which is children's games so uh, they have three nominees for each and kind of just wanted to run through these. I mean, for the 
spiel and the kinder spiel i don't think any of us have played more than like one of these so not a lot to talk about but it's always interesting to kind of run through was it wasn't just one one of the nominees it was yeah yeah, yeah it was a job just one just one is excellent i <laughs> have you guys not played it it's really good i you know i don't play a lot of party games they just don't come out very often so and that's that's what all these are this year it's just like party games and like card games and that's not bad it's just not my kind of thing it's because like you get these word it's a basically a word game you know you have to you write a word and there's clue kind of interchange and i i just feel like a lot of times there's either that over competitive like pictionary like oh i hate you and you get like more mad than actually than playing or there's some like weird rules wrinkle that makes it different quote unquote for whatever reason just one just kind of strips a lot of that down and makes it very accessible to the table i really enjoyed it it's, it's such it's so easy to play you can like you know jump in do a couple of words and leave it's 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 really good i mean considering i haven't heard of other stuff then i'm kind of rooting for this one just by default yeah i, I mean i don't think you're alone like looking at reddit and bgg it's this seems to be the one everybody thinks will win yeah uh, which of course means it won't win because that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. It's also funny that it's it's uh, the same designers as Seventh Continent. So this is what they're doing when they're not designing some giant, massive, sprawling adventure game. Uh, I did not know that. That is insane. That's <laughs> such a different thing. Oh my God. It's <laughs> amazing. All right. I mean, Chris, have you played this one? You play a lot of party games. No, I can't say I have. I haven't seen that even at the game night. Look at that. I gave you guys it at the table. We're not even doing at the table. And there you go. There's I know, table. right? <laughs> Uh, I still won't pick it up, but if it's there, I'll I'll try to play it now. All right, so that's the first one. Then there's Llama from Reiner Knizia. It's an acronym for something, but it's in German, so I I don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is a just a, a light card game. It's got it's from Amigo, so it's got those very like six nymph style cards. Don't know a whole lot about it. And then, and I'm sure neither of you guys have played that, right? God, no. German import? No way. No. Okay, let's <laughs> just make it sure before I run on. And then the last one was a little surprise to me for a variety of reasons, and that's Werewords from Bezier. Not the least of which is that there was some controversy around this game earlier, right? Yeah, there was a situation between Bezier Games and between Oink Games that this was a game and Bezier Games was trying to kind of rebrand it. And supposedly emails went back and forth and supposedly there was agreements and non-agreements and it was a big mess for quite some time. And if you go on board game geek or Reddit, you can find the whole conversation along with emails. So it's a good game. We've reviewed it on the podcast. I like it, but I'm still really surprised that this is up for a spiel, but nonetheless, decent game. Yeah. I mean, presumably that's all worked out. I haven't heard anything about it recently. And it's, it's again, it was all supposedly is, but it is an interesting game to make it on here with, all that controversy that was there at least. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. The Kinderspiel nominees. I've usually most years have heard of none of these and then they'll all come out in the next year from Haba and, and the like. So we have Fabulantico, Go Gecko Go, and Valley of the Vikings. Anything? Anybody? We're good. No? We're good. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. And then the Kinderspiel, which is kind of more in our wheelhouse. These are the types of games we review. And... We've actually reviewed all three of these. Specifically, I've reviewed all three of these on the podcast. (laughs) It's maybe the first time I owned all three. So it's Carpe Diem, Stefan Feld's most recent. Detective, the big app deduction game from Ignacy Trevacek and the the Portal crew. And then Wingspan, which I'm sure you guys 
maybe have heard of. I don't know. <laughs> what is this wingspan you speak of? Is the first time I'm hearing about this? Yeah, I mean, nobody owns it, but it go. is very popular. 10,000 people own it. That's exactly how many people it's own this. True. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I got one of those controversial copies that uh, got dumped on Amazon. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I like all three of these games. I own all three of them. I've gave them all decent reviews. I'm a little surprised at the Stefan Feld. I'm, I'm wondering if this is just like a, hey, we should give Feld an award yeah. kind of thing. Um, this is not no. his best game. It's not a bad nope, game. Not it's at not all. Yeah, it's kind of like how, uh, speaking of Game of Thrones being the episode, it's kind of like how they got the Emmy for season five, which season five no. was not good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a lot of, uh, there was a lot of mashups in there and people like, um, so it, in Lord of the Rings, same, same thing with Lord of the Rings. The third movie is the one that got, that swept all the Emmys. Not the strongest movie in that quartet. It's like, okay, we, this is important. We need to kind of give a nod. It sounds like uh, with Stefan Fell, that's kind of a little bit of action going on there. Yeah, they're like it's almost like they're like, ooh, he made a game light enough for us to nominate. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, we have to we have to get him in there. It's again, it's a perfectly fine game. I mean, it is the better of the two games he released last fall. I'll say that much. And and you know, aside from like cause there's a lot of obviously people have feelings about Wingspan and they've, you know, feelings about the print run, they get disappointed. And also, you know, it become this kind of flashpoint because there's a female designer and female artists so it's like okay is this really good or am i supposed to like it because of the social justice warriors and like there's so much like around it that are as built you know with reddit and bgd everything but just at the heart of it it's a it's a fun design it's not the best engine building card game in the world but it's fun and it's good and it's beautifully produced stegmaier did amazing job with it and elizabeth hargrave is a really sweet gal We've had her on the ENGN a couple of times for interviews and everything. She also has another game coming out from a button shy. And now like with a spiel or spiel nomination, maybe even a win. I mean, it, that's, it's just a great story. So I'm just, I'm really happy that Wingspan is getting the nod. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's, that game is kind of perfectly weighted for this award too. Like it's right in that wheelhouse, like complexity wise. Yeah. And I'll jump in too, because obviously the game's blown up so big that, you know, there's always that negative pushback as Jason was mentioning but I played it. It's a really good game. It's a solid game from top to bottom. It's not going to, you know, radically change the industry, but there is really nothing that you can kind of criticize about the game, so to speak. I mean, there's always something you can kind of nitpick, but the artwork is fantastic. The scientific knowledge that kind of goes into the game and how the birds really thematically kind of activate is fantastic. And I played the game with bird watchers like hardcore professional bird watchers and they're like yeah that's true and that's true and then that's why that does that and i'm just like oh they really went the extra step and when a game is truly thematic in its gameplay that's just something fantastic whether you like it or not or it's your theme or not it's completely a different story but this is a really really phenomenal game as far as accomplishing what it set out to do and i think it's going to win pretty much everything for the next year or so yeah i'd be interested to see i I do want to point out too because we didn't mention it yet is detective being in here is interesting because it is an app driven game you cannot play it without some form of technology yeah that's really surprising it's not a game like i mean it is kind of a game but it's like sherlock holmes consulting detective you know only with app and like a little bit more depth and stuff i wouldn't even like do you feel like you win or lose that game do you feel like that this is a contest against something? I mean, I, just, I feel like I, I kind of have a feeling of lumping the case solvers with, you know, some of these other experiences. It just does. It feels like a little bit apples and oranges. I don't know what you guys think. I, I, I will say I was very surprised. And this was one of my favorite games last year. I agree with you. It's more of a 
extended experience. Like I wouldn't call an escape room a game, for example, even though you're trying to solve a puzzle and win it. Right. This kind of feels the same. And if I was going to pick one of the two app-driven deduction games to be nominated for a spiel, I would almost assume they go with like Chronicles of Crime because it at least feels a little bit more like a game and it has some more innovative stuff to it. Not to say I like I love Detective. It's a fantastic game. I picked up the expansion, looking forward to playing it, but I was decently surprised to see it here. The heat is on. Absolutely. The yeah. street. <laughs> <laughs> Great dude. If you don't know what that is, then go and check out Eddie Murphy's film catalog from the 1990s and 80s and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's that's a few minutes on the spiels. That's the big one. That's the big thing that everybody waits for every year. Last year's winners were the Quacks of Quedlinburg, and just that one blew up as the Kenner Spiel, and Azul, of course, and those things fly off the shelves now uh, if they weren't already. So the other awards that we want to talk about, just really quick, because there are like a dozen or more categories, maybe 50 games in total, so we're not going to run through all of them. That'd be a whole other episode. But... This one is one we're actually involved in because we help nominate these, and that's the Dice Tower Awards. Mm -hmm. And these go up every year, the nominations, in May, and they get announced at the Dice Tower Con in July. And generally speaking, every year I look at these and I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is good. I'm fine with this nomination list. And part of that is there's like 150-some-odd people who do the nominations, and they are all on podcasts or in the industry somehow. And we kind of narrow things down very carefully uh, from a very large list. And the other part of it is just like, there's a lot of categories. So mm -hmm. <laughs> things get segmented out pretty well. So, I mean, is there anything that kind of jumped out at, for either of you guys on the list that was like, yeah, I'm glad that's there. Or, hey, I think that game's going to win everything or any surprises. I mean, I think it's going to be Root. I think that's going to be the answer to pretty much every category you're going to see this year. So, you know, this year going to next year's Wingspan, last year going to this year is going to be Root. I think... The art design and the whimsical nature of the game is really drawing a lot of people in. Leader Games did a fantastic job with getting that game out to the public, which was not easy because they are a super tiny company. And the fact that the game really handles the asymmetry of the different factions is tremendous. And it's really has a good backbone as, as far as like it's it's actually a war game, <laughs> an insurgents kind of coin game here. So you have almost every type of gamer actually playing this game. I don't know if it has the legs long term to kind of keep at the table just because it is a pretty rough teach, especially people who don't play games normally. But otherwise, I think Root's going to run away with pretty much everything this year. It, it swept up the Golden Geek, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's at, it's, I think it's like at 54 in the overall rank of BDG. I thought it would, would be higher. Because uh, just you look at some of the big games like Gloomhaven shot up to first and then, you know, looking at Terraforming Mars is number four. And, you know, these are the games like, you know, games of the year, quality games. And so speaking to Chris's point, maybe the accessibility is kind of limiting that upward, you know, rocket ship uh, into the top of the charge. But uh, I mean, I, I have to agree with you guys in every category that Roots is nominated in, it'll probably take it. Yeah, and I think Roots going to have that thing like Gloomhaven had that second printing that came out like a year, year and a half after the first one, the second Kickstarter that made millions of dollars. So did Root. Root made a bunch of millions of dollars earlier this year, and they have games coming out with expansions at the end of the year, which is obviously after award season, but I think we're going to see it jump a little bit higher on those rankings um, as the number of owners doubles in the next 18 months or so. I, I, I can't think of anything to disagree with you on. Like, 
just looking through the list, it's nominated for about half of these awards. And most of those I could see, you know, there's a few in here that are kind of slam dunks, like best new designer. I don't see how it's not Wolfgang. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That'll be just after, after everything he did last year, game of the year. Yeah. Root almost certainly um, theming would be interesting. Cause I don't know that root really, really stands a chance there. So maybe Western legends or stuff fables, but but yeah, I think I think you're right, Chris. I think it's probably the year of root. I, I always look for the cooperative games. If you guys listen to Every Night is Game Night, you go you guys know I'm a big, big co-op fan, probably my favorite category. This the the Dice Tower nominees here just tell me what a poor year it was overall for just classic pure co-ops. Like we have two case solving games, two basically party games, and a children's game. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of those may or may not actually be a game. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> uh, that, I think Anthony's referring to The Mind, which we talked about it on a recent yeah. episode. I think we both conclude that. Yes, it's a game. Sure. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's in the middle. It's I'm, I could go either side of the fence. But yeah, it's it's a funny one. I love the arguments. People get so heated over it. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. So uh, it, it, it wasn't uh, my favorite year. This was not my favorite year for games. Like, I mean, I guess award shows really – awards anything are just like the best way to do it is like a chance to talk about the year and a chance to kind of check in on like what it is. I mean, I, I heard you guys' um, – uh, you know, year end episode. I think you are like when you assess 2018 as a year, you kind of said it was like, you know, good year, not the best. And I think this poll kind of solidifies that judgment. All right. Now for our feature review, we're going to take a look at the best. And in fact, the only Game of Thrones games that are out there. So if you love the series or you eh, are so so about the series, or maybe you're interested in some really great games, we're going to talk about all the games that came out that are Game of Thrones based, whether it's the books, the TV show, or some odd products in between. So we're going to let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs. If those games are, in fact, the dreaded burn and you should burn down an entire kingdom just to make yourself feel better. Yeah, that's a thing you could do too. <laughs> For no particular reason. Out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> out of nowhere. With not <laughs> So there. All right. So Anthony, why don't you start us off with the games that are all about the thrones that are based in cardboard, my friend? Yes, let's do it. Uh, I'm gonna run through four or five not necessarily smaller, but maybe lower profile Game of Thrones games uh, and let you know if they're worth picking up or not, or if there's an alternative, maybe. So the first of these is a Game of Thrones Catan, Brotherhood of the Watch. Now, I was somewhat skeptical when they announced that there was a Game of Thrones Catan coming out. It seemed a little cynical, <laughs> slapping the theme on there. And maybe it still is, but the game is halfway decent. It takes the kind of core formula of Catan, and it, it makes it work in this new uh, format where you are on the Night's Watch and you are jostling to succeed the Lord Commander and, and become the leader of the Night's Watch. Um, but to do that, you need to do a few different things. You need to, A, help build out the gift. So do your part to produce goods that will feed the, the Night's Watch, but also to repel uh, the wildlings from the wall. And so there is there are mechanics in the game where the wildlings are going to come at the wall throughout the game. You're going to be recruiting people from the Night's Watch to man the walls. And there's kind of a 
shared role here. So everybody kind of has to keep the wall intact. There's no shared failure. It's not a co-op by any means, but it is something that everybody has to work towards. Um, the victory points, like any Catan game, are hidden and come one at a time, and whoever gets to 10 is going to win. But it can end in a couple of different ways. So you're going to gain points based on kind of the network you build out, classic Catan, but also for hiring guards on the wall, buying the development cards that increase your prestige, um, safeguarding all that stuff that you built out in the gift. And then if for whatever reason, nobody gets to 10 points, the game will still end at some point. If the uh, wildlings breach the wall three times throughout the game, and then you just see who has the most points or the most guards on the wall. Uh, so it's interesting. I mean, the production quality here is really high. The artwork's fantastic. Even like the painting on the little Catan tiles is very nice. Get a little miniature moving around the board. The cost, however, is Thank way too high for any Catan. I was waiting yeah. for that. Thank you. It is $80 for Catan. Come on now. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, you got this nice, beautiful board. You've got all the Game of Thrones artwork. You've got miniatures and plastic bits that you don't really need that replace the wood from the original. The, even the like the resource cards look amazing. The artwork on those is amazing, but it's Catan. You can buy a copy of Catan for 25, 30 bucks. Don't spend 80 on this. And it's on sale occasionally because nobody's buying it because it's $80. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, have either guys played this one? I have not played it. I mean, I'm 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 on price guy. Like, I mean, it's it's Asmodee, so it's, and it's Catan. Like, who is giving out review copies of Catan? It's it's completely impossible. Um, so if if you're gonna just buy it at a cost or eighty bucks, and you can get it like you know cheaper and cool stuff and everything, but does this do enough to separate itself from an engine that I've been playing since two thousand and one? You know, no. So <laughs> I'm okay on that. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, this game is super expensive, but the really the worst thing is it's super expensive at Target. So every time I go in Target and I see it here, I'm like, and when are you going to just drop your price? Because no one's buying you for $80. That's that's a crazy amount of money to play for, as you said, Jason, like a, a variation of Catan, which has been around forever, and a Game of Thrones theme that's, you know, more or less pasted on in some respects. And in fact... I think you have to pick up the expansion to play as Jon Snow, which seems like just really milking the uh, game for money. Yeah, they definitely held some content back for the expansion. I mean, it's a five, six player expansion, which is also separate for the base game. But look, they Anthony, do it. You know I... nothing about expansions. <laughs> I can tell my wallet, man. <laughs> All right, so Game of Thrones Catan. If you're a super hardcore fan, uh, still wait for a price drop. Although. Then actually, have... before, before you even uh, jump in there, you did mention one thing, which was the art. It's going to come up a couple of times, uh, especially like in the Asmodee Fantasy Flight universe. The art is gorgeous, and they take a lot of the art that was developed even before the show was a thing. And, you know, so like Daenerys and all your favorite characters are all like, you know, how George kind of imagined them. And you can actually get that art in separate books. So I have a couple of those books right now, like and they're straight from Fantasy Flight. And Fantasy Flight kind of litters a lot of their games, you know, this game included, and then the games we're going to talk about with that art. It is go get those books. There, I really do recommend that. Oh yeah, no, it's gorgeous, and it's I love that so much. Of the artwork in these games is still based on like the books and the artist interpretation of those characters. Because you get some really cool, fantastical-looking stuff that's not just like a 
artist rendering of Kit Harington. Yeah, like um, like people don't realize what the Iron Throne is. So like the Iron Throne is, you know, like it, it's a big thing. It's like, oh, it's how many how many swords in the Iron Stone look like twelve or something? It's not a thousand. In the series, it's a thousand swords, and it's a, this big monstrous thing, and you can actually see it in represented in some of the games and in the book. It's like little things like that are just I really geek out about that. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, I got a copy of. We'll talk about this game in like ten minutes, but <laughs> the Song of Ice and Fire miniatures game, and as one of the Kickstarter bonuses was the Iron Throne from the book. So like this, like the miniature is like eight inches high. So I went on eBay and I bought that because I'm like, I want that throne. <laughs> so <laughs> it is currently sitting on my desk as a paperweight, uh, and it's it's massive. Like if you put a miniature on it, it's you know like twelve, fifteen nice. feet high. All right, so let's move to the next game. Again, another thematically thin one here, and this is not the artwork we were just talking about. <laughs> this is a Game of Thrones, Hand of the King. This is a Bruno Cathala game, and the only reason anybody talked about this when it came out was the artwork. It is this kind of stylistic, cartoony take on the characters, and some of them look like their show counterparts as cartoons. Some of them don't. It's a bit of a mix, but... It's cartoons. It's like almost like a, a Gendy Tarkovsky kind of a look to it, like Samurai Jack. Um, and I like the guy that did um, Acquisitions Incorporated, right? I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's done a lot of work. So, and it, the other stuff wasn't controversial because it wasn't Game of Thrones, but um, it is very unique. The, the game itself is super simple. You have a giant grid of cards, and you're going to move the Varus card around just in any direction on the the six by six grid you stop it on a specific spot you take the token and the character if you get more characters from a single house because all the cards are marked by their houses then you get the banner for that if you get the final character from a house you get a bonus from these different companions that are out there and there's special powers that come with that so it's almost an abstract game and i say almost but it really is an abstract game with some special powers associated and you're just looking at game of thrones characters while you do it i still like it as a game is it a Game of Thrones game? Not really. I mean, thematically speaking. But it, it's a fun, quick card game that I think, if you look at the rating on BGG, it's definitely dinged a little bit because people just didn't like how it looked. Chris, you played this one with me, right? Yeah, it's a very basic game. I, I do like the artwork. It's kind of pretty quirky. And basically, it's just kind of a set collection game. It's fine. I mean, it didn't murder anyone's family, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so... I, I I get the idea that it's a pasted on theme and I'm and I'm just, you know, I, I guess I would have more of an uproar and disappointment with this if the season didn't wrap up almost like this game where it's like, hey, you just want to see the characters you love, right? And you're like, yeah, well, here you go. Here's a game where people's faces are on things and you match them up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I, I think so I think strangely enough. It is a perfect depiction of the final episode and so to speak. So, yeah, this is something I won't come back to, but I wouldn't throw it away if it was happened to be part of my collection. Yeah. And it's probably the least Game of Thrones thing on this list, but it has the name. So we mentioned it. Yes. (laughs) All right. Next game up. This is another retheme. This is Game of Thrones, the Iron Throne. This is the Game of Thrones version of Cosmic Encounter. And I mean, that makes kind of perfect sense if you think about it the the reason i I don't know why this game didn't take off possibly just because it's a retheme possibly because they used photography from the show which 
it, it just it always looks cheap and maybe it's just because all those games back in the day were cheap and bad and so now it's just in your head that they're going to be bad but i had the same thought I'm like this is i don't yeah <laughs> so um thematic like mechanically it is pretty much just cosmic encounter uh, a game in which you are negotiating and bluffing and making alliances working together threatening people trying to get people to join you against someone else and at any point in time it's just you versus someone else and the game tells you who you're going to face so there the active players are defined by the game but then who helps you and how they help you and when they help you is all kind of the meta game around the game there are of course special powers that come with each of the characters which correspond to who you're going to play instead of the little spaceships you stack up little throw or little crowns uh, on top of each other um they are pointy don't drop them they hurt your feet um i don't i don't know i just this game didn't really do much for me i like cosmic encounter i don't love it but it has a lot of charm to it because of the theme and the colorful artwork and the thousands of aliens you could be this game takes all of that boils it down slaps on some photography from hbo and says eh you like this still right and i don't i don't know who this was for yeah i wasn't a huge fan it's for the mass market it's really dumbed down like i i did get a chance to uh play this once and i'm like just bring back cosmic encounter you know i mean if i'm gonna play that dumbed down a game i'm gonna go straight to like a taboo you know, like, is this the, the, this game or, you know, something like mass market with like a reskin and, you know, give me a bunch of Game of Thrones type words and a card and I'll let them guess that like, this is a game does not give me more than an experience like that would. Yeah, the Cosmic sure. Encounter is already out there and it's a fantastic game for what it does. So, yeah, I would probably pick the Cosmic Encounter version up. But I guess if you were going to, you know, retheme something, it makes a lot of sense. It does make sense thematically. It just. I still don't like it. So <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. Next one up here is another retheme, but I do think this one works. And that's Battles of Westeros, a battle lore game. Now, this game isn't really available anymore unless you find one of the many clearance sales that still seem to happen because people still seem to have this in stock, but it's been out of print for a while. This is the command and color system uh, and battle lore, in particularly with westeros kind of slapped onto it and this game came out before the show even aired so this came out back in 2010 so it is a hundred percent based on the books and all of the artwork all the miniatures all the characters and everything in it are based on that as well and specifically it takes the actual military conflicts from the books and recreates them in the board game so the base game this base box that you can get it comes with several different scenarios. These are specific battles and it'll tell you how the map's going to be laid out. The map is double-sided and there's a whole bunch of overlays that you can put out there to kind of build it out however you want. And of course you can build your own too. And then there are big box expansions. Um, so the base game comes with Starks and Lannisters, but I think the Baratheons are also available as their own core box. And there's a couple others that came out uh, in smaller, medium-sized boxes over the years. And you're going to have a leader's of some kind out of this leadership deck. So you've got Jamie Lannister could be on the Stark side or on the Lannister side. You got Eddard Stark could come out on the Stark side. And if you've never played Command and Colors, it's basically you have a board broken down into different sectors and then cards that tell you what you can do in each of those sectors. And of course, some special abilities that come out in the form of those leadership cards. So it's all about hand management and then the tactics that go into the battle itself. Um, it's a lot of fun. I really, really like 
battle lore. Uh, and the battle lore, like Terranoth version that they put out is better than this by a fair margin because it's like a revamped second edition of those rules. But this is still good, especially if you like um, the books or just Game of Thrones in general. Now, there's going to be some stuff in here you probably wouldn't recognize uh, if you've only watched the shows because it is purely based on the novels. But I think it does a good job uh, of not like overdoing it and dumping too much on you. It's a lot of fun. I wish it had stuck around. I feel like there's a lot they could have done with this, especially with the, you know, if they shifted it over to like the show to get more of the stories and more of the battles towards the back end of that series. But of course, when this came out, all but one of the books had been released that are out now. So, you know, it has all the battles from early on in the, in the books. We talked about Battle Lore Second Edition a lot and how much we liked it and how sad we were that the current game version of it kind of like stopped and they're not producing anymore. And it went on like massive sale. And if you didn't get it, it's kind of done. I think if they would take the second edition, the Battle Lore Second Edition, and then retheme that in the battle of westeros now you have dragons and you have zombies and other stuff that comes from the books i think that might work really well as a basic game for battle westeros probably already have battle lord second edition so probably not going to go back to this but i guess if you have this game it's worth having in your collection yeah i held on to it it's it's still there i don't play it but i have it (laughs) and so the next one here is the reason i probably wouldn't play it and that's the a Song of Ice and Fire tabletop miniatures game. This is this is the biggie. This is the current big, massive miniatures game based on the Song of Ice and Fire. And you can tell this one's based on the books because there's they don't use the name Game of Thrones. It's the only game on this list that doesn't use that. It is A Song of Ice and Fire. And I don't know that you can necessarily tell. I mean, other than the fact that there's more characters out there that would be recognizable if you've read them. But this is a full-blown miniatures game from Simon, uh, designed by Eric Lang and Michael Chennal. And it is expensive. <laughs> it is large. It has dozens of expansions. If you're a board gamer, you probably look at this and think, ugh, that's so much stuff. Which is what I did when it was on Kickstarter, because too much stuff, right? It was hundreds of dollars. But the game itself does a really good job of kind of taking what makes miniature games so appealing. So the potential for large scale battles on these massive tables with hundreds of miniatures out there and marries it with accessible mechanics that are board gamer friendly. The problem is just kind of how it's packaged in the end. So I think a lot of people have avoided this because it's very expensive and it's a two player game, right? Mm -hmm. Mechanically speaking though, it has a lot of different unique things to it. So there activations alternate people are constantly doing things there's not like i'll do all my stuff you do all your stuff it's like it's back and forth right similar to like a lot of the card games um there's a rank system so units can upgrade and get more powerful as the battle goes on um the tactic system provides a whole bunch of different things that you can do with specific resources that kind of run out over the course of the game the heroes are there and in some cases they're less interesting than others a lot of the times they just sit off the map and maybe they have a power, but they don't do much despite having the miniature. Other times you can bring them onto the map. Like you can get your Jamie Lannister and throw him out there and he can, you know, wipe the floor with anybody around him. It's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. And I really wish it was packaged in a way that was more board gamer friendly. Now I know that's why, not what they were trying to do. They were trying to build a new 
tabletop miniature game line, but there's just so much content here in this box. Uh, and that's just kind of the high overview. Like there's multiple different game modes. There's, you could get the night's watch, you could get the wildlings, you could get all these different factions that they're now releasing and just so much content here to work through. I cannot get it out to the table because it is a two player miniature game and needs a lot of a table space to play, but it is really good. So if you're looking for miniatures and game of Thrones, this did is it. They, what did they try here? Like, are they trying to horn in on like the Warhammer space? So like game stores that dedicated their back rooms to these big tables and everything to Warhammer and Robotech and the different, like, you know, big dudes in the map. Did they want this game to horn into that space? And, and is it doing so? I mean, Question one, yes, uh, and, and they as much told us so. Like when we discussed it with them back at Gen Con last year, it's like, yeah, we want this to be big. We're doing event kits. We're doing all this stuff. Second answer, I don't think so. Like one of my local stores started doing a thing and that lasted, maybe they did two events and not enough people showed up and then they stopped doing yes. them. Like it's, uh, the Kickstarter was really the best way to get all the stuff. And it's just the classic CMON problem of if you backed it, you got this giant box of extra stuff. If you didn't back it, you don't get that stuff. But now you have kind of a competitive two-player war game. People want all the stuff, and they can't get it now, combined with the fact that it's just very expensive to jump into it like any miniatures game. And so people who already play miniatures games have already invested in something. You're trying to get new people mm -hmm. in. I don't know. I don't know what the market is for these, and all these companies keep doing it. Star Wars Legion was the same thing, like... No one's playing it. Seems it's a good game, but nobody's playing it. So why would I keep spending money on it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a shame. All right, Jason, you got one for us too, right? I have uh, probably my favorite of the Game of Thrones games. Uh, I am not a normally a competitive dueling person. Um, I'm a you know big co-op fan, but I mean the Game of Thrones living card game is spoiler alert. I really really like it. Um, I've only played a couple of times. <laughs> I just throw it out there, man. I don't keep the people waiting. <laughs> I was like, okay. We need the sizzle, man. Wait, what, sizzle? What, happened, what happened to not rushing to a final conclusion right off the bat, man? <laughs> you let it develop. Nah, man, you get it. It's going to serve it right hot and fresh. We can't come to a okay, really well, ending either. <laughs> You will not be disappointed with this one. I can guarantee it. if you like anything about uh, like dueling card games, and this is what the, it's exactly what it is. Uh, so it's a living card game. So there was a first edition and first edition was just, oh my God. I mean, you know, uh, tons of tons of expansions. You could probably get a whole sets for, I don't know. Uh, you know, at, when they were first announced second edition, people were, would sell off their sets for like thousands of dollars. Okay. So you had a whole bunch of stuff. I, 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 they changed some things for the second edition. I don't think if you, if you happen to have the first edition, it's going to be that different. Um, but the second edition, you know, it's good too. Uh, and it's a good entry point. I think they wanted to reboot so that let people kind of new people trickle in, uh, which is a perfectly fine goal, you know, especially the first edition got very intimidating. Um, so at the heart of it is, so in Magic Gathering, you're kind of trying to destroy one another and it's, and you can do a lot of manipulation, but at the end of the day, you have to kind of deal damage and hit points. This game does it a lot differently. This isn't a directly competitive game what you're doing is you know you have your deck i think it's at least 60 cards that you have to have and you can deconstruct and you know put your put your decks together and everything a very craftable game um what you're really trying to do is you're trying to get influence or power yeah power i think is the 
main currency of the game. You have you're like the first per, the first faction to get fifteen glory or power, whatever you want to call that, is going to be the winner. And so every round there you're going to go through various phases. So first you have your your plot phase, which basically gives a meta to the round. So like every round is a little bit different. So like this round uh, you can only play this type of card and that round you can only, you know, if you play this, if you play your big heroes and, you know, uh, something else happens. So every round feels a little bit different because of the meta that you play. Uh, so those are your plot cards. And then during the main phase, you're going to be summoning your heroes and uh, heroes, villains, everybody. Like <laughs> that's the great thing about a living card game. You can fit every single character, even like, you know, Scott has shave paint or these like weirdo characters that you would that only book readers would would know you can fit into the, you know the car, a card game like this. So then you play them, and then you're gonna kind of declare a combat against whoever you know. Can you can play this game as a melee format with multiple people? So then you can either fight them head up if you have if your characters have that skill, the fighting skill, or you can do what's called influence, which is basically make them discard cards. So, you know, there's two different ways kind of emulating the fact that this is not like the Game of Thrones world is not this Rock'em Sock'em world. Like you also, there's also backstabbing and chicanery. You only do so much in a card game to emulate that, but at least they kind of approach differently. And then the third type of combat you could do, which is basically power or dominance. You know, I have the more glorious house and therefore I get more points, quote unquote. Um, so that's all you're doing every single turn. And you know, the, the strategy is in how do you defend, how do you attack, how do you buff, you know, uh, how, you know, do I open, you know, uh, launch a bunch of attacks and leave myself open to the other person's attacks? Do I, you know, what's in my hand? How can I buff, you know, what's coming out of there? And that's on a mechanical end. On a thematic end, oh, <laughs> it's some fun stuff that you, know, you can do. Uh, one, the, one of the games that I played, uh, my opponent had the Lannisters and Joffrey came out. And Joffrey had this thing where like, he got glory whenever he got to kill somebody, which is exactly what Joffrey would do. <laughs> in, in the real, he gets glee every time he cuts off somebody's head, especially if they're not of your faction. So, like, if you know, a, a big person I was playing had a bunch of Starks in his deck, and oh, Joffrey murders Arya and Sansa and gets a bunch of glory. That's exactly what Joffrey would do in that particular case. Um, and so, there's these little thematic moments. It's not a thematic game, but there's mo- there's enough thematic moments to make it satisfying for a Game of Thrones fan. And the gameplay is good too. So I, you know, I'm not a, a guy that just goes into these competitive card games, but as a fan of the, the show, as a fan of, you know, if some, if I were to like get into like a group that played this a lot, then I'd be really happy. Um, I, 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 Chris, I know, I think you're a guy that played this game, right? I did. I played the first edition a lot and I really enjoyed it. As I mentioned earlier, like just trying to avoid some of the spoilers, but, the card game really doesn't go out of its way to spoil anything for you. Like you mentioned, there's a lot of odd characters here and obviously they're not depicted, you know, directly in the show like they are in the artwork or in the book. So you can completely play the game. And if you're not looking very hard, you can kind of avoid those, but the game is so fun and dynamic and you really do get to play that house. And as you mentioned, the characters their power levels and what they can influence depends completely upon whatever their characteristic happens to be. So Jon Snow is going to be out there battling where Sansa is going to be doing political intrigue kind of stuff. And that's really a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And they do a lot, a really good job of like, you know, building up the combo. So like 
um, you know, the Baratheon deck, you know, if you get um, the, 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 it's called kneeling, which is tapping your cards, which I really dislike how every game is forced to call tapping something different. It's really annoying. Uh, but like in this particular game, it kind of makes sense because if a card is kneeling, which is means to tap, then um, like Robert Baratheon will get a bunch of buffs. And then, you know, Stannis Baratheon will give buffs, you know, depending on how many cards are kneeling already. So like they, the game does a really good job. Not just, you're not just, it's not just like a blind you know, no, I'm going to play a card. You're going to play a card. You can really get into the strategic combo-ness of it. There's a reason why they rebooted it for a second edition. There's a reason why it's actually, you know, it's not the most popular collective card game, but they're just really, they keep on releasing sets. And it's just, it's, it's a really, really awesome game. I, re- I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And finally, we want to talk about the big daddy of all Game of Thrones games. That's Game of Thrones, the board game, second edition. Now, first edition came out quite some time ago. Never got a chance to play that edition. But second edition does streamline a lot of the rules in the board game. And basically, this is the board game of all of the great houses battling out. It's an area control game. It's somewhat dudes on the map but it's not really so much about that you are trying to conquer different castles and get a certain number in order to win but at the same time the game doesn't play like risk you really have to strategize the different things you're doing because you are managing supplies you are managing how many troops you can have in each individual region there's influence tracks throughout the game that are going to determine things like player order and if you can break ties ties are actually very important in this game and then there's combat bonuses so a lot of different stuff in the game in addition there's wildling attacks because of course there is so everyone has to contribute like in game of thrones the Catan version in order to keep them back and in order for everyone not to take major damage throughout the game But basically, the game is all kind of circling around this planning phase. So in the planning phase, you're going to have your house and your house is going to be represented by these really cool translucent color tokens. And you're going to have just your same starting place like you do on the map of Westeros. And you're going to play these tokens and the tokens are going to designate what your troops or what your area is going to do. So you can march, you could defend, you could support not just your armies, but other people as well. You can raid, which takes out other people's tokens. You can consolidate power, which is going to help you muster units and score victory points towards the end. Then the action phase happens where these tokens flip over and the different actions take place, including combat. Combat's a little cumbersome. It's kind of like this five-stage process where you have these pieces on the board. I have those pieces on my board. I have support tokens. You have support tokens. You have raid tokens. And then we play cards because cards. And (laughs) the cards do things because now you need someone to lead the troops. And that's going to kind of throw things into a little bit of havoc. So throughout the game, you can and should negotiate with the neighboring houses in order to gain the most area control possible. And then just like every area control game, once somebody gets too far, you try to kind of bring them back. Now, the original base game is fantastic, but it is very, very long to play. This is a all-day, six-hour type of game if you play with the full player count, which is highly recommended because if you leave a gap, that's going to give somebody a free space to kind of expand into without any challengers. Now, the expansion that just came out, Mother of Dragons, kind of takes care of that. So 
Now that section is taken up by other players throughout the game. So you have some control over those different areas as the game goes on. The expansion also adds the Targaryens, right? So you you will have Daenerys in the game and you will have her dragons. And what's really cool about this expansion is she plays differently. Her dragons grow every other round and she has to go certain places on the board because dragons can fly. They can go anywhere they want. And she gets to nuke a particular place in order to gain control of those regions. So there is an asymmetrical situation going on here. She's not trying to take over kingdoms in this situation. She's just trying, you know, I guess, capture allies and their allegiance, so to speak. There's also House Aaron that that enters this game to make this an eight-player game. If you, I don't know, if you have several days to play this game. And that changes the feel like torturing yourself. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is a little torture, but not Ramsey Bolton level of torture. But, you know, it is (laughs) it is a very long situation. But yeah, so eight players is long. You can play with much less now because the way that the game handles those empty spaces where you actually control that situation. So you'll have vassals in those areas and you control one and I control one. So the game balances out a lot better. Awesome. So I would always 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 play with the expansion that being said this game is incredibly long incredibly detailed the rule book is is pretty difficult to get through but once you play the game once you're into the game once you've played it once or twice it is a very enjoyable experience but is an extremely long and dedicated process that does reap rewards as long as you can go through a long and dedicated process. So I would just give this game a play because I think you should play it before you buy it. Even if you are a hardcore Game of Thrones fan, maybe one day Fantasy Flight will have a revised edition like they have TI4. But until then, this is good. But as long as you have dedicated gamers who are willing to kind of really really push through a challenging rule book that they'll have to jump back to several times i i mean if you like diplomacy i mean this is basically they talk about spiritual successor i mean this is a this is a, a diplomacy variant just like the card game is a magic variant and there are people who don't like those games and sure. they if you don't like those games if you don't like diplomacy if you don't like the constant engagement and i really do like the like you can obviously do your move and you know grab a soda and the board state That's will right. not change, but you might be missing on out on opportunities to make an alliance. And there are people like I've seen people just completely laser in. I, like I played this game for a couple of like a month or so, like every week, just like you know because it's the same people. They just loved it. Yeah, uh, and you know it's like a New York meetup and everything, and it, it was a whole meetup dedicated just to this board game, which is the, I'll tell you everything you need to know. And people are really into it. You can laser in, you could make alliances, you could, you know, you can choose if you want to, to just be laser focused in this game for like the entire eight hours, read people's motives. And like it, if you, if that sounds good to you, then there's no better field to play in that space. And you have to be in. And if you're not in, then you're out. That's the unfortunate thing. Like, like the card game, you might have fun if you just casually There is no casual playing of the board game. It's true. All right. So that is everything from our Game of Thrones reviews. If you love Game of Thrones, definitely check these games out. If you're just a casual fan, take our advice. Pick some of these games out that might work best for your group. Definitely don't jump out and buy them because it's a pretty detailed and and major investment in both in time and money. 
But in general, it's been a good genre. It's been some decent games out there. And it's been a so-so series so far. All right. So until (laughs) next time, this is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Jason. And we'll save you a seat on the Iron Throne. Dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.